One of our greatest needs in the church today is not more special meetings and greater revivals and greater enthusiasm. We certainly need a greater zeal for God. He's not coming for a lukewarm or a cold bride, but we would need something that would be consistent and to some would seem uh, very every day of the week, maybe even boring. We want to talk about that today in our podcast. Greetings. Thank you for tuning in to listen to Equipping the Bride podcast. I'm Brother Jason DeMars from Beaufort, South Carolina, a minister at Bethel Tabernacle. New episodes of this podcast are posted every Friday. You can watch this podcast on YouTube and listen to it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you have any questions, testimonies, or prayer requests, please let me know at jasondemars.com. I also have free books and tracks available at my website, and shipping is free as well. May the Lord richly bless you. Amen. God bless you. I am back in my home in South Carolina. Very glad to be back here after the last three weeks. Um, uh, staying with my father after my mother passed away. And so it's, uh, I guess, with heavy grieving hearts, sometimes uh, you have to leave and commit your family to the Lord. My my dad's 85 years old. My mom passed on January 28th, passed from uh, this, what well, we would say, uh, this pest house into the father's house in the place that the Lord prepared for my, for my mom. It was her time to go. We were assured of that through the circumstances and she went just the way that she wanted to go. She wanted to go first and she wanted to before my dad and she wanted to go quickly. And so we're very, very grateful for how the Lord did those things for her. Um, what a tremendous uh, a difficulty for us as the family. Um, but we're assured, and just by the circumstances of how the Lord directed them, that we really, uh, it was his plan, it was his timing. I, maybe I would just share a few moments here. Um, you know, we were, prior to my mom uh, passing, we were in on a little vacation in North Georgia, my family, my wife and and my girls, and uh, we were, there's two ways to get home. From there, you can go through Augusta or you can go through Atlanta, and Augusta is, of course, small town, smaller, two-lane, a lot of two-lane roads and back roads, but it's very beautiful, and you don't have to worry about Atlanta traffic, which is, anybody knows, it's awful. And so uh, we... The, we were planning on going the back roads home and through Augusta. And when we were just about to leave, I started looking and decided, Hey, let's go, let's go through Atlanta. And, uh, normally my wife would say, Hey, that doesn't make sense. But, uh, somehow she just felt led to leave it as it is. And we end up going through Atlanta and about half an hour into the drive, I get a text from my dad that uh, 
mom has had sort of some sort of heart episode and stopped breathing and they're doing CPR on her. Um, so while that, while that happened, you know, my dad has been having some issues with pneumonia and sinus issues over the last five or six months. And there were two nurses in the home, uh, there and they were talking back and forth and, and, uh, having a nice time with them joking a little bit. And, and my mom just, uh, uh, sort of had a gasp and my dad looked at her face and said, she's gone. The nurses were able to, uh, do CPR for 20 minutes while the first responders came. They gave her, I think an epi, I'm not sure of the details, but, uh, got, got her heart beating again, but she was, uh, not, not responsive. And, uh, on the meantime, on, on my end, we're driving through Atlanta and my wife says, just go to the airport, um, and get it, get a ticket and go. So as I'm thinking about these things, we, uh, get by the airport, she drops me off. I get, get a ticket. It's going to get me there, um, around, get me to the hospital around midnight or a little bit after, probably a little bit after midnight. And so getting there, um, to the airport. I check in and go up to one of the lounges to check in to see if I can just rest there while I wait for four or five hours for the flight. And uh, they wouldn't let me in because they said it's not within three hours of your flight. So I went out and started walking, trying to find maybe a, a coffee shop to to sit in. So as I'm looking, I see there's an earlier flight to Minneapolis. So I'm, I'm going to go to the desk, Delta desk, and ask, can I get there earlier? Excuse me. And so I hand them my ticket and says, let me see what I can do. He starts typing and maybe a minute later hands me a ticket and says, you got to walk really fast. There's a flight leaving and there's a flight that's boarding right now. If you go to it, you can get on it. And so he got me on that flight and I was able to get to the, the um, hospital by 830, 8 or 8.30. So I was really uh, thankful for that and got to spend some time with my family and and uh, um, kind of get updated about what was going on and be able to hold my mom's hand and uh, stroke her forehead and her hair and talk to her. And so then, then uh, you know, with, with all that happening, you realize this was, this was the Lord orchestrating this, you know, um, if I would have been in, in Buford, I would have had to have a connecting flight. It would have taken me a lot longer to get there. Uh, not only that, you know, there's many circumstances surrounding that, you know, we were in a position to be able to, in emergency mode, be able to immediately book a ticket. You know, um, I could, I could go on about that, but let's just say, uh, the, the way the Lord moved, even financially with us in the last month, he ordained it in such a way that we would be able to do this. Um, then, you know, the circumstance with my mother there, the, the nurses being able to get her heart started. No, we, we couldn't have her talk to us, but uh, she, they were able to 
get her heart started and get her on life support to kind of assess what would happen, what happened. And it was her time to go. She was, she was, my dad said she, when, when it first happened, she was gone. And so, but they were able to get her on life support, get her heart started so that family could come. My, my aunts, my mom's two sisters were able to fly up from one from Florida and one from Arizona and say goodbye. I was be able to get up and say goodbye. And, uh, you know, it was obviously very difficult, but when you see the Lord working through so many circumstances, I could go on, you know, my mom and dad came down, flew down and we spent Thanksgiving with them like a week around Thanksgiving. We were able to go up to Minnesota and we spent, uh, Christmas with them, it, uh, Christmas day with them. You know, you see these things and you realize this was, this was a gift from the Lord and regardless of the pain and the hurt that you feel when you lose your mom, you know, someone so precious and, and so important in my life. My mom was just a tremendous woman of faith. The Lord answered her prayers over and over and over again in my life. Um, you know, she, she went to Bible study fellowship. She was a leader there. And, and she spent so many hours, countless hours studying and, and at Bible study fellowship. I was raised up in Bible study fellowship as a kid. And, uh, it, it gave me such a, my mom gave me such a tremendous respect for the scriptures and that the Bible itself, uh, you know, is our final authority. And we look to the Bible, not to man's teachings not to denominational teachings, but to the Bible itself. I, th I think my mom was the person that, you know, that faith was in first and came into me. And, and you know, you can go on and on and on about that. But mom was a very special lady, full of uh, sincerity and love and accept, you know, she accepted people and for where they were and for who they were. And, you know, she took care of us growing up. I had all kinds of friends come through my house and she was always delighted to have them and, and, um, took care of us, took care of us all. You know, as my good friend growing up said, your mom always took care of each, each and every one of us. Um, and it's true. And so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful, so grateful for a, a mom that loved me and, and cared for me. I, I, uh, truly a gift from the Lord. And then to be able to say goodbye and see her breathe her last breath. I was so grateful. God knows our hearts and sees what we go through. And you realize we're in his hands and he's leading us and he's guiding us. And that's the place that we want to be is in his hands. Amen. All right, let's turn to our subject for the podcast. I said one of our greatest needs in the church today is not more special meetings and greater revivals and greater enthusiasm. Certainly, 
never going to downgrade enthusiasm. There's a tremendous need for it. We need zeal for God. Um, we need to be on fire. You know, it's not a lukewarm or a cold bride that he's coming for, but a, a bride that's on fire for him. And, you know, we do live in an age where entertainment is, I mean, it's a, it's like a, it's a God. It's what people live for. It's what people strive for. You think, think of things like movies and you think of things like the NFL, NBA, whatever it be, might be. You know, I, I don't at all downgrade anybody for, you know, watching a sport, but it becomes easily a God to people. Um, I myself enjoy watching football and appreciate that. I grew up playing football, but, uh, that can't, those things can't come before the Lord. But, you know, aside from that, the point being is we, ha we have been trained to need to be continually entertained. And if something isn't fun or enjoyable, we don't like it and we're not interested in it. You know, we need special meetings to come together as believers and grow, you know, rub elbows with each other, so to speak, and fellowship with one another. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We need each other. That's certainly true. And it's a great blessing to see that. And it brings revival personally to our lives. And, you know, we see the things that the Lord is doing and we're so thankful. But it's not just about those things. You know, there needs to be there needs to be believers with a strong foundation of a revelation which produces an understanding of the word. You know, we're not here to be shallow Christians with little to no understanding, no spiritual discernment, but we want to be deep in the word. At the same time, we don't want to be uh, heartless and callous and so focused on doctrine that we don't see the need for our hearts to be tender and for our emotions to be expressed before the Lord. You know, a, a true love for God produces a true passion for Him, and uh, that many times is expressed in the shape of emotions. You know, we we appreciate the gift of the evangelist. It's it's necessary. We we love it when we hear an awe-inspiring gift. You know that literally lifts your faith up, and and you know many many people view those things as the highlight of the Christian faith in special meetings. But the reality is that the core necessity for us as believers is the daily, hourly, weekly habits that we learn to delight in that will cause us to grow the most. Not habits that we do out of rote, but habits that we do from delight because we love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And so these things are absolutely uh, critical. Um, I can't emphasize enough. I mean, it's, 
It's in our local church. It's in the place where we're being fed on a daily basis. Those things are not about entertainment. It's about spiritual growth. It's attending a church that teaches you the balanced word. It is about, it is about living among believers that intentionally spend their lives together, edify one another on a daily, weekly, and continual basis. It's being in a family of believers that worships together. You know, these, these things are, these are the things that will sustain us. You know, we have, we have continual, constant entertainment. I mean, you look at the things on our phone, we have these, these uh, reels and videos and they're short and you sit and scroll and scroll and scroll and look, you know, I, we all can get into those habits and spend so much unbelievable amount of time doing this on a daily basis. And what is it? It's entertainment. It's entertainment. It's not spiritual growth. It's, it's a waste of time. We are killing time and we're doing it in the name of entertainment. And there's such a spirit of entertainment in America. Brother Branham says in 1955 in Seal of the Antichrist. Now they stay home for that and things that people does today, it's a shame calling themselves religious. They act like the world because it's the spirit of America. America wants entertainment. Oh, everything. Everybody's got televisions and radios and they listen to everything. Let me go into a man's house and let me see what kind of music he hears. Let me look around and see what kind of literature he reads. I'll tell you what kind of a spirit he's got feeding on it. That's right. Let me watch the way he acts in his daily walk. True, it's a shame, my, how the churches fell from grace. Oh, what a pity. Repent and come back. That's right. I say that in the name of the Lord. Repent and come back. The thirst for entertainment infects everything. It infects the American religious crowd as well. If you can't keep them enthralled using every verbal deducement known to mankind, they'll lull off to sleep and wonder why why is church so boring? But the believer who has Christ on the inside will be enthused every time the word is preached in power, whether done in an unskilled way or in an eloquent eloquent way. Let's look at this concept of unskilled and eloquent. Paul speaks of himself and he says, he was unskilled. A very interesting. Second Corinthians eleven one through five, uh, one through six. I hope you will put up with a little more of my foolishness. Please bear with me, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. I promise, I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was corrupted by the cunning ways of the serpent. Verse 4, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different preach a different Jesus than the one we preached, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. But I don't consider myself inferior in any way to these super apostles who teach such things. 
I may be unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. We have made this clear to you in every way possible. All right, so Paul says, I'm unskilled as a speaker. Now let's look at Apollos, Acts 18, 24, and 25. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others all about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. So you hear, here we see two preachers. One was Apollos, and people were enthralled with him because he was a skilled speaker, and he spoke with enthusiasm and with accuracy. Paul, the people in comparing Paul with other, other preachers, they said, this guy is unskilled. He's not eloquent. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? Uh, they said the same thing about Brother Branham. He's an unskilled speaker. He's not eloquent bio, you know, but we have eloquent preachers today. And sometimes we have unskilled preachers, but it's not about, it's not about skill. It's not about eloquence. It's about the Holy Spirit working through a vessel to bring a clear understanding to the people. All right. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey, to, to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Again, I want, to, I want to make something clear. I certainly appreciate special meetings. It's wonderful to meet, meet new people and hear anointed, very gifted preachers and grow in excitement and enthusiasm for the Lord and for what he's doing on this earth. But the key place that the church must improve at is in discipleship. You know, that can be a nice phrase or word for denominations to speak about their programs. But let me define what I mean when I'm speaking about discipleship. It says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. So this is our leaders and mature believers must learn to take time to invest in young people and new believers to teach them. It's not just over the pulpit through relationships, be involved in people's lives, help them to become more and more like Jesus. It's in small groups, men's groups, women's groups, prayer meetings, youth group, one-on-one -on -one with those struggling and in need of counsel to meet with them in their homes, in your home, at coffee shops, restaurants, in the park, etc., etc. It's meeting them where they are at and helping them understand more deeply how to walk with Christ and how to understand the Bible and how to overcome temptations and to be accountable to the Word. We need the whole body of believers to be on board with this. We need believers to view themselves as ministers of the Word to one another. And it takes that body ministry to reach out, reach out to someone. If you have a, you know, be in prayer. I'm, I, I'm personally, I'm always in prayer, and I'm always watching to see uh, 
is there is there a need? Is there someone hurting? Is there someone I can start meeting with, and speaking with, and, and helping them with where they're at and what they're going through? I'm always looking for that and uh, seeking out that, and I try to you know follow up and be consistent. Sometimes you can't be; things happen. That's fine. The point being is that be on the lookout and keep moving forward with people. All right. The kind of spiritual growth in making new disciples into obedient believers, it can't be merely done over the pulpit. It has to be done in a myriad of ways through personal connection, just the way Jesus was with his disciples. And again, the purpose is not to turn a bunch of people into um, sitters in the pew. It's to turn them into exactly what you are, new disciple makers and trainers. That's what Jesus did with his disciples, and that was God, that's God's purpose. It's, it's to be a channel of his life through believers to other, to new believers and maturing on down the line. It's elder sisters teaching younger sisters. It's elder brothers teaching younger brothers. It's pastors and associates meeting with the younger ministers and struggling believers in the church to help them get healed and to help them grow in their faith. Uh, Titus 2, 1 through, through 8. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Verse 3, the aged women likewise, that they may, they be in behavior as becomes holiness, not at false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. So we see there, live your life as an example for others. And and take the time to teach younger people. You know, this is the... Paul uh, Paul puts this on the duty of the pastor Titus, but he also puts it on the duty of older men and older women. Older women teach the younger women. Older men, you behave this way, and also exhort the young man to be sober-minded. All right? 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, And the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who should be able to teach others also, that's the duty of the church. It's not a, not for a seminary to teach the people, but each local church is supposed to be an avenue of teaching and training younger ministers and raising them up in the ministry. John 8.31, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. So let's think about the discipleship this way. Discipleship follows Jesus' example of how he invested in the lives of 12 disciples. The life-to-life, face-to-face element is about intentionally coming alongside another person 
starting from where, where they, wherever they're at spiritually, when you meet them and ministering the word and God's love with them in ways you think will benefit them and how the Lord would lead you in that. It's coming together, praying together, studying the Bible together, doing everyday life together as Christians. It's true Christian friendship together. So let's look at what the vision of what the Lord called us to do as a body of believers. Number one, make new disciples through preaching the manifested gospel, not in word, but in power and demonstration. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the promises to you, to your children, to them that's far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So, so number one, make new disciples, see them converted. Two, we're to teach and to train these new disciples to obey the word. This is an ongoing duty in the body of Christ. It's a lifetime commitment. Three, then in whatever capacity they're working now, homemaker, labor, teacher, farmer, etc., etc., banker, to enter the mission of the body and help in making and training new disciples. We're not training new people to sit in the, pul- in the pew. We're training them to be life manifestors. You know, in, uh, in Beaufort, we're having special meetings, I think, uh, next weekend from the 3rd through the 5th, Brother Donnie Reagan will be preaching for us, and we're having special meetings. What's the purpose of special meetings? It should be to accomplish one of these things, or else to increase the enthusiasm for one of those three things. Otherwise, to me, it's quite useless. Just to get excited about something that isn't the mission of the church. Luke 16, verse 40 says this, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect, fully trained, shall be as his master. The purpose of our training is to be like the master. James 1.22, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So just imagine a farmer coming, and he has a harvest to do, and he hires employees to do the work, to come and gather the harvest. And when he goes back in, he says, get to work, everybody. He goes in, begins to do his books and and, and so forth, and um, he comes back out, and they're all sitting around the campfire, uh, gathering and speaking about the beauty and eloquence of the words of the farmer. What does the farmer do? He says, hey, you guys, I hired you to do something. What are you sitting around and speaking about? Oh, farmer, your words were beautiful. We loved them. We believe what you said, and we think it's exactly correct. We were just discussing the very sentence you spoke about. He said, hey, if you love what I spoke about, get to work and do what I've asked you to do. And this is 
This is discipleship. It's together, coming together, not just speaking about it, but helping one another to become doers of the word. So let's let's look at discipleship. John Piper writes this. This is a very long process. That is like a lifetime process. So get them converted, baptize them, and then spend a lifetime teaching them to obey all that Jesus said. That is the, what the verb disciple in the New Testament would include. You know, and looking through the New Testament, here's some of the ways it speaks about training people how to act and live and feel and walk as Christians. Says Titus 2.4, older women train younger women. 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul trained Timothy to train others to train others. Ephesians 6.4, fathers are to train their children. Matthew 28.20, missionaries are to teach the nations everything Jesus commanded. Hebrews 3.13, all Christians are to exhort each other every day to avoid sin and to stir each other up to love and good works. 1 Peter 4.10 says all Christians are to use their gifts to serve others. Acts 18.24-26, Priscilla and Aquila, on the spur of the moment it seems, explain the way of God more accurately to Apollos. Every one of us should be helping others to grow in their faith. We should also be seeking out ways others can help us grow in our faith. Too many times our great focus is on the fantastics of the church, the great entertainment being a believer provides in the form of enthusiastic preaching of the word and the great joy that comes from the worship and God healing and meeting people's needs. We love those things. We treasure those things. But, but as I see this, the tre- real treasure is for us, each of us, to get involved and be purposeful and for the leadership of our local, local church to be purposeful in the training others to be Christian husbands and wives and mothers and fathers and daughters and sons and employees and employers and etc., etc., to live the Christian life on a daily basis, to help them gain an understanding of the revelation of the Word and to grow in the life of it. Our pastors and associates should be purposeful about it and should so should the elders in the church as well. It's our duty and function and purpose as a body to make new disciples and train those disciples for a full lifetime and enter them into making new disciples and training new disciples with you. To me, this is one of the greatest needs of the church. I can't say that it's the the greatest need of the church. That's not up to me to, to say that. But I can say confidently this is one of the greatest needs of the church to refocus ourselves on this. This is where the reality comes, I believe. And I, and I just challenge each one of us to be involved in this. If you're a pastor, pray about how to, what steps to take to implement these things and encourage these things in your church. If you're a believer and you hear this and you want your pastor to do something, don't wait for your pastor to do something. You be a friend to others. You be a friend to your pastor. You be a friend to others. Reach out and love them and encourage them and build them up. That's what this is about. 
It's not about pointing fingers or trying to correct someone. It's trying to say, let's all together work together in the body of Christ to help one another grow and edify and challenge one another daily. Amen. Thanks for listening. May the Lord richly bless you. Thank you for listening to Equipping the Bride podcast. New episodes are posted every Friday. I want to remind you that if you have any questions, testimonies, or prayer requests, please let me know at jasondemars.com. I also have free books and tracks available at my website, and shipping is free as well. Please, I ask you to remember the believers and the mission's work in the Middle East in prayer. May the Lord richly bless you.